Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much to the uh, worship team for helping to prepare our hearts and minds as we prepare to look in God's Word. Turn in your Bibles, if we would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll get there in a moment. I want to really encourage us to think about the importance of singing, singing to one another, right? This is just a great privilege in worship for us to hear the Word read, to be able to read the Word together, and to be able to sing the Word to one another, as well as to be under the preaching of the Word. Uh, even as we pray, when we pray the Word together, and I appreciate so much the uh, the approach that's been taken this afternoon, and I hope that it resonates with your heart and that it helps you to think through what is the biblical approach to what we do when we gather, right? We can, we can find all kinds of entertainment venues, and that's not the purpose here, right? We can find all kinds of things that may make us feel one way or another, but what is key really is for us to be word-centered, and I appreciate so much the, uh, the, the approach and, and, and the, uh, the thought that goes into, into that here as we gather. First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, I'm going to read through the first 12 verses in just a moment here, and then this, morning, this afternoon we're just going to focus mostly on uh, the first six verses. And then, Lord willing, in the weeks ahead, we'll uh, take a look at, at the uh, next set of verses and kind of go from there. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know how much you like things that are fake versus real. I mean, fake. Things that are not genuine, maybe. Like, maybe as something as simple as generic brand, like cough medicine, right? I mean, if you need to buy the NyQuil brand, good for you. Good for you. I mean, you want to pay a premium for that specific label? Fine. But, you know, inside the Equate brand version or whatever your drugstore of choice is or your, you know, store that you go to, there's a generic brand that does the same thing, right? Um, and you say, no, I know it's different. And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, maybe some things do taste a little bit different. Sure, I'll grant that. But in terms of the effectiveness of it, right, uh, one may look fake, but it's not actually fake. It's actually going to do pretty much the same thing. Uh, perhaps there's other things, though, that you want to get something that's fake and not real, right? Um, when I, I remember uh, growing up in, in New Jersey, we, we went to this place periodically, uh, in, in a town uh, called Woodstown, New Jersey, and you can, you can Google this after church if you want. Uh, it's called uh, Cowtown. Cowtown is actually one of the few rodeos left uh, on the East Coast, really, and maybe the only one in, in New Jersey. There may be another one or two, and yes, New Jersey does have this. South Jersey, right, where I, was, uh, where I grew up. They had what was called the Cowtown Flea Market. It was your standard flea market. The thing that was ironic about it is they posted on the sign, gigantic sign, every Tuesday and Saturday, and here was their little tagline, often imitated, never duplicated. I still am not 100% certain what that means, except that we would go there, we would try and find everything that was fake. Like, man, ah, look at this. This was a big thing when I was a kid. This is going to date me, maybe, maybe. Uh, they had the, Tommy Hilfiger came out with these watches, right? It wasn't just clothing. He had watches and was all Hilfiger branded stuff. We're like, this is awesome. But when you looked at it carefully, 
you realize that the red and the blue were inverse. They were flip-flopped, right? They weren't in the right order. So they'd get it really, really close, but it was a fake, right? And then there were other things that you could find there that were fake, right? Um, you know, we learned that there were some things that look real, but when you carefully look at them, they're not. And it was kind of a game for us, right? So I think when we realize in life that fake things may be appropriate for one thing, maybe, uh, but when we want something to really work for real, we go after what's genuine, right? Um, and I think for us as believers, this is something that's maybe something that's easy for us to get deceived by, right? We want something sometimes that's just going to simply make us feel better, but it may not be the very thing that we need. And so I want to encourage us this morning to think about what is genuinely true about the gospel of God. We'll see that from the text and how that not just doesn't just motivate us, it does, but it also gives us encourage and, and, and encouragement and confidence that we have what is real. We're not trying to peddle a fake watch, right? We're actually communicating the true gospel of God because it is what has impacted us. We know we have the genuine gospel of God, and you know that you're hearing the genuine gospel of God as it's taught and as it's preached when there's a few things in mind. First, it's shown from the scriptures. I think all of us in here are tuned into that, that when someone starts talking from some truth that is not demonstrated from the Bible, that we know that that is not genuine, that that is fake. Secondly, when someone communicates the genuine gospel, it's not done for the benefit of the preacher or the organization. You know, I was just joking this past week, a couple weeks ago, with, with, uh, with some folks at work, uh, talking about how we had to really get something moving and we really had to, to make it happen. And I made a joke that, you know, something along the lines of, well, if you just put your hand on the radio, brother, send in $5, you will be healed. I was just joking, right? That, that wasn't it was a joke, right? Everyone kind of laughed. But when you hear that kind of a little mockery of a stereotype of, you know, some kind of a telev televangelist or someone who's trying to, to do whatever, you can hear the fake and the self-referential importance there, right? I need five bucks, and then you're going to see something happen, right? And that's just not the way the genuine gospel works. When someone's communicating, it's not done for the benefit of the preacher or for some organization. Ultimately, it gives glory to God. Look at what God has done becomes our exclamation, and we see it evidence because it's not something that was conjured up. It's not something where it was dreamt up, where you know, we're trying to make it seem something what it's not. Ultimately, the gospel of God is for the making and maturing of disciples who collectively, who together, are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want us to see this afternoon that disciples graciously communicate the genuine gospel of God. And I'm setting this up to make sure that when we think about the communication of the gospel, it's not done for the benefit of 
ourselves. It's not done for the benefit of trying to be right in an argument. It is done for the sake, ultimately, of the name. It's done for the glory of God. And, and, and while that does not absolve us from responsibility, it actually motivates and frees you in your capability of communicating the gospel. Because it's not about me. It's not about Redemption Bible Church, right? It is ultimately about giving glory to God. Now, make no mistake, there's a responsibility that the church bears in terms of discipleship. But when it comes to communicating the genuine gospel of God, we want to make sure that we understand that it's not done for the benefit of a preacher or for an organization. The genuine gospel, we'll see this afternoon, genuinely, uh, properly motivates disciples. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll see how disciples communicate the gospel graciously. So I'm going to read the full context here, verses 1 through 12. And then, Lord willing, we'll look at this in two parts. First part this week, Lord willing, second part next week. So, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, For appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Verses 1 through 6, I want us to see how the genuine gospel properly motivates disciples. Now, why am I saying it properly motivates? Well, the person who is communicating the gospel certainly understands the nature of what it has done in his or her own life, right? They've experienced the gospel saving power, and they desire to tell others about it. And we saw this a little while ago, in chapter 1, where disciples thank God for the evidences of grace, right? Chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. We pray for one another to remain faithful to the gospel. We thank God for disciples who live godly, and we see the gospel's power to change people's lives, right? So part of this motivation is we have already been thanking God for the evidences of his grace. And the fact 
Second half of of, uh, chapter one, how God's grace changes disciples. They live the gospel. They communicate the gospel. They are anticipating the return of Christ and the fulfillment of the gospel. And so now with that as a backdrop, there's this motivation that's going to push them forward. Verses one through two, I want us to see this afternoon first, that disciples speak the gospel confidently. Disciples speak the gospel confidently. Look back at verses one and two. For yourselves know, brothers, that the coming, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We see this incredible confidence in the gospel. The reality is that the ministry of the gospel often brings conflict. The gospel came, and it certainly was not a waste at all, despite the conflict that was occurring. Sometimes, and we saw this in chapter 1 a bit as well, when there is much conflict, it may seem like things are not going well in the communication of the gospel, right? You remember there were false teachers and rabble-rousers who wanted to shut them down, yet despite the suffering, they communicated the gospel. The result is that it was not worthless. It wasn't in vain. It was not empty. It was not a failure. The reason we know it wasn't a failure is because there were people who were converted to Christ and a church was established. Sometimes it takes us a moment to press the pause button, reflect on what has happened, and praise God for his goodness. Let's look back at what God has done, not what we didn't get yet or maybe never. Let's reflect on what God has done, and when we see him work, and when we see what he has done, it changes our perspective. I've said this in a number of different contexts before, but it's easy to find anything to complain about. We can find anything to complain about. But when we pause and we praise God for the work that he has done in our own lives to bring us to the point where we are, it is far better than what we deserve. Ultimately, we, ultimately, though, we want to make sure that we're speaking this confidently. It was not a failure. The church had come there. Why? Because their confidence was in the gospel, working in the effective working of the gospel, resulting, rather, in the effective working of the gospel in the lives of the hearer, for those who had received the word. Notice in the text it says that their foundation of their boldness was rooted in God. They were given courage. One might say they dared to speak the gospel. They faced much opposition. There certainly was a conflict. All of these words denote that there was some kind of a strenuous activity that was involved. It wasn't simple. Let me rephrase that. To understand this is simple. To work through it and to walk through it can be hard. We can understand gospel truth. We can communicate boldly gospel truth, but recognize while the message may be simple, it is going to be hard for people to accept, for people to change, for people to grow. 
Why? Because I have old habits that are going to die hard, right? All of us do. Same thing is true for someone who is not rooted and grounded in the scriptures. Their confidence ultimately was in the gospel, not in their circumstances. In the midst of this, they were still pursuing and communicating the gospel. They were properly uh, motivated to do so. They were motivated by God. The characteristic of a disciple of Christ is that his confidence and his hope is not in his circumstances, but it is in the gospel of God. Man, that is hard. It's easy to talk about how great it is to live in the state of Michigan when you have a day like today. Right? But when the roads are icy and nothing is quite plowed and your, it, your, your mailbox is frozen, you can't even open the thing up. Hey, come on, this is a great place to live. You know, it's not as motivated. You're not as motivated. Now, if you're one of those people who likes the snow and you like your mailbox and you have to pour hot water on your car to open the door, God bless you. That's great. Don't prefer that. Um, I've lived in the north most of my life and I still don't prefer it. Um, when things are going easy, when things are going well, when it's beautiful and the sun is shining, it's very easy to be motivated. But there's something outside of ourselves, something outside of our circumstances that becomes the core motivator, and that is rooted in the Spirit of God, using the Word of God for us to communicate gospel truth, because it's something much greater than ourselves. The nature of these circumstances that we were constantly facing and the, the items that we're trying to deal with are reflected all throughout the life of Christ. In Mark chapter 1, just listen as I read. Now, after John was arrested, this is John the Baptist. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. A little bit later in, his, in that same chapter, just a few verses later, there's a shift now in the preaching of the gospel of God. Jesus begins to call his disciples now to make them fishers of men. And the opposition that they were going to face was going to be more and more intense. Yet this did not dissuade Jesus from communicating the gospel of God. Mark 1, verse 21, and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes, which is interesting because the scribes were the teachers. But he spoke with an authoritative tone. He had an authoritative message. Now, Christ, obviously God incarnate, is the living word communicating the word. But the disciples, when they followed the same pattern, including the Apostle Paul, and they went into the, to the synagogue, right, and they, they dealt with all the things they dealt with, they were speaking as having authority, but not their own. It was the authority of Christ that Christ himself patterned for us. They spoke with authority. This gave them great confidence in communicating the gospel of God. So really, a few questions for us to really reflect on here is what is the confidence that we have in the gospel of God in our lives? 
Perhaps you're here this afternoon and you are facing some incredible difficulty, opposition maybe within your family, perhaps within your workplace, perhaps with a neighbor, perhaps with your immediate family, your children, maybe parents. You're faced with some difficulty and it's going to be very easy for you to lose confidence because you're concerned about those circumstances. Make no mistake, I'm not saying we should not be concerned about circumstances. I'm not trying to be dismissive of it at all. But what I am saying is we need to have boldness and Lord willing next week we'll look at the gracious communication of the gospel of God despite those circumstances. This is what genuine believers do. They confidently communicate the gospel. How many of us are not confident in the gospel because of a fear of man? The fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs says. But he who puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. I think sometimes it's very easy for us to operate purely out of fear of man. I'd be lying if I said I didn't live out of the fear of man. Because there are times when I do. What's this person going to think? What's this person going to say? What is my son going to think if I say this? Or my daughter if I say this? Right? What's my wife going to think of this if I say this thing? Because if you don't think there's not spiritual battles that don't begin between you and those that are closest to you, you are mistaken. And so having confidence to graciously communicate in the hardest thing. See, it's one thing for me to, to have a conversation with some folks that I don't really, I, don't, I have no idea who you gentlemen are, to my shame, right? I don't know who you are. I've not met you yet. I can't wait to meet you. In fact, after the service, I'm going to, you're stuck. I'm going to have to meet you now, right? Let's see, we, we go way back, at least 45 seconds, right? 45 seconds, maybe a minute. Easier for us to have a conversation because we don't know anything about each other. Who's the bald dude up there who's just keep going on and on, right? Like, who are the two guys who are going to have words with me after the service, right? Because I called them out. Don't know much about it. It's easier sometimes to have conversations with strangers than it is with those with whom we're most familiar because they know us. Coming up on 26 years, my wife knows I'm an idiot. Right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Someone says. <laughs> By another husband who struggles with the same thing. This is where the gospel really, really takes shape. When you see those closest to you asking for forgiveness for a sin that they have done, that confidently communicates the gospel of God in your home. When you are in a church setting or you're in a work setting or you're in some other circumstance where it is so difficult because, I mean, this would be great if there weren't people here, right? Because sometimes we struggle with that, right? We struggle with what people are going to think of us and we're going to struggle with how that message gets communicated and, we, and, and this battle kind of, kind of rages, when we confidently communicate the gospel, we do so with those that are closest to us. 
We do so with those who are acquaintances of ours. We do so with those who understand that it is not about me. It's not about them. It's not about my wife. It's ultimately about the glory of God. Right? And this is what gives us great encouragement. Because now I'm confidently communicating the gospel of God. The genuine gospel properly motivates us, right? Disciples speak the gospel confidently. This is not just simply standing on a street corner proclaiming the gospel. Is that confidence? Yes. Is it confidence when you do so privately, when it's just between you and a close friend? Yes. And for each of us, our personalities or the way we view things, one might be harder than the other. I get it. But at the same time, it's what the gospel is that drives us. The genuine gospel properly motivates disciples. They speak the gospel confidently as they proclaim it. Secondly, verses 3 and 4, disciples speak the gospel to honor God. Disciples speak the gospel to honor God. Look at verses 3 and 4. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Pleasing God, not man. Ultimately, this is about the interest of God. Now, in the context here of what he is saying is, there were teachers who were earning a living by, quote, selling wisdom... They were selling wisdom in the marketplace. They were peddlers of wisdom. They were driven by selfish gain or by earning a living. There are disciples of Christ who may be confused on this, but the fact of the matter is true disciples of Christ are not motivated by personal gain. This was not some attempt at a mass marketing or some kind of mass appeal. There was not some attempt at tricking someone. It was simply a matter of giving the truth. The message of the gospel is not something that's ever going to have a mass appeal. Broad is the way, right? Narrow is the way that leads that and, and few there be that find it because the reality is this is the nature of the difficulty that we battle with sin all the time. And so we need to communicate the gospel ultimately to honor God, not for our own mass appeal or for our own way of focusing on the preacher or an organization. Disciples recognize that their message is going to create a sense of foolishness. A sense of foolishness. Ultimately, though, our goal is to honor God. Why do I say that the communication of the gospel could be perceived as a message of foolishness? Why does Paul have to make an appeal here that ultimately they should be about not trying to peddle wisdom, not trying to make money, but instead communicate the gospel of God, to give honor and glory to God? In part because the true gospel message is a message that's going to come across as one of two things, blasphemy or foolishness. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, and I'll start reading in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the sermon of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Your translation may say something like, it's through the foolishness of preaching. It's not about standing up here and proclaiming something. That's not foolish. I mean, I may sound foolish at times, but the actual act of proclaiming and speaking publicly is not the foolishness. It's the message preached that is foolishness. Now, I've heard this taught and preached many times in my life. I personally have taught it and preached it many times in my life, including about a minute ago. And I want to tell you, within the last four or five years, I've had a couple of conversations with people as an adult where I literally had someone chuckle as I communicated the gospel message. And I was like, it's true. It's true. People can really respond this way and be like, are you kidding me? You mean that there's nothing I have to do? I simply need to trust Christ? I need to repent from my sin? And when I put my faith and trust in Christ, then I'm a believer and he changes my heart and all of these things, there's nothing that I have to do to earn this? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> now, why do people do that? In defense of the unbeliever, I get it. Everything that makes a religion different than Christianity is that there is something that is uh, incumbent on the part of the person who is the religious person or the parishioner or whatever you want to call it, who has to do something. Right? And that makes sense to us. Like, God does his part, I do my part. Not for salvation. Not for the gospel. So there's a confident communication of the gospel where we recognize that it is the work of God entirely to change us. We are responsible to respond in faith and repentance. Make no mistake, that is definitely true. However... What we are communicating is foolishness. And so when we speak the gospel, we need to think in terms of honoring God. The conclusion of those kinds of conversations usually ends with, hey, look, I understand how this might sound to you. But your issue is not actually with me. Your issue is with who? God. I'm, I'm here as a messenger. I'm here as a servant of Christ. My confidence isn't in me. My confidence is in what God has done through his word in me. And I'm sharing that with you, wanting you to respond to this. So, as believers, there's this communication of the truth. It's not something that's impure, right? It's not, as we see in this text there, ultimately, there is an approved by God. There's a approval of something that is the result of careful examination. Really here in, this, uh, in these verses here, 
Verse number four, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. The idea here is something as having been, as, as the result of having been carefully examined, right? We have been approved by God because of what we are teaching and what we believe. Really, the way this whole sentence is laid out, or this portion of the sentence is laid, laid out, implies, not implies, it states that there was a past event that occurred. I was approved by God, and it has this ongoing result of me continuing to be approved by God as I communicate the message. We have been approved by God for this ongoing action of communicating the gospel of God so that we might honor God in that. That's what's going on here. This is what drove them to be pure. Verse number four also tells us that our highest, honor, our, our highest motivation should be to honor or please God and not to please man. So we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, like I've, you've heard me say, the goal here is not to displease people. I don't want to make someone mad at me. <laughs> the goal is not to see if I can, you know, get them all stirred up into a lather. That's nonsense. That's not at all what this is saying. But when it comes right down to it, the basic motivation was to please God, not to please man. One commentator put it this way, to please does not simply mean seek to please or to make happy, but points the idea of rendering service in the interest of another, rendering service in the interest of another. So ultimately, when we look to serve God and to please God, we want to do what's best from God's perspective, not from our own. I want to do what's best from God's perspective, not what I think might be helpful with a new acquaintance or with a family member or with someone else. I want to know what God's perspective is on the matter and communicate that kindly, graciously. That's what it means to please God. I'm doing it out of the interest of the gospel, not self-interest. I'm doing it out of the interest of the gospel, not what might make them like me more. Not what might bring peace instead of truth. I'm not saying they ever have to be mutually exclusive. But I'm saying we need to think about who we're trying to please. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Jesus Christ. And when you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in the suffering of as a good sorry share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ his aim is to please the one who enlisted him I think we're all familiar enough with Galatians 1 and verse 10 for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be the servant of Christ and that that verse to me helps crystallize what first Thessalonians is saying look I'm not doing this out of the interest of what people are going to think of me or how I might gain an advantage with people I'm doing it to please and honor God and do what is right we want to be winsome we want to be gracious, but recognize we have a foolish message. 
You know, sometimes I find myself arguing, engaging in an argument, discussing, simply out of self-preservation, meaning I'm going to be the one who's right here. I want to be right. And I think sometimes it's easy for me to be focused on what I want instead of ultimately making sure that I communicate what God wants in a particular discussion or a circumstance. The genuine gospel properly motivates disciples, right? We speak the gospel confidently. We speak the gospel to honor God. And then finally, verses 5 and 6, I want us to see how disciples speak the gospel to benefit others. Disciples speak the gospel to benefit others. Others, verses 5 and 6. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. The, characters, the character, rather, of the disciples of Christ here, the apostles, was, was crystal clear. Right? This is observed when the gospel is communicated. Flaws in character can sometimes be brought out to discredit a person, right? This is why in court a lot of times there's character witnesses, right? In this case, Paul reminded the Thessalonians of what they themselves saw about his behavior. He was reminding him, look, here are the things that I was doing in your presence, not with words of flattery, not with a pretext for greed. Let me just challenge you quickly. Are we demonstrating what it means to be a believer with our example? In, in, in a very real sense, it's easy to do here at church when we gather, right? That's why we're here. If you came to church as a Christian, didn't act like a Christian, to be like, mm, what are you doing? Did you forget where you walked in? In some sense, that's easy. But when it's hard is when we're in the midst of temptation. When we're alone. When we're with people that we're comfortable with. When we're with people who don't know anything about us. It's easy for us to act in a way that does not reflect the gospel of God. And what is so powerful about this statement here is that these disciples who, had, who were speaking for the benefit of others, they did so from the, a foundation of proper character in what they were communicating. God calls, there, there's these you know, calls on God to witness his actions and his motivations. It wasn't by greed, not seeking the praise of men, not looking for money from them. I mean, you know you're confident in what you're doing and saying when you call God as a witness. There's nothing he doesn't see, know, or hear. So this is the way the gospel impacted him so that he was able to communicate it confidently. And the challenge for us is the same, that when we're doing this for the benefit of others, it should be so crystal clear, it should be so obvious that we could call, if we were called into judgment on it, one of the witnesses who would speak on our behalf that we're preaching the gospel for the benefit of others would be God himself. That's a powerful argument and a frightening one. 
So as we communicate the gospel of God for the benefit of others, it's done so and it's clearly seen by others. And Paul did it with such tenacity and such veracity that he was calling on God as a witness. He did not use flattery, right? This is not talking about saying nice things about people. You know, this is not... You know, saying someone looks good today, someone looks nice today, oh, you're just flattering them. This particular idea is the flattery has the idea of practicing, tailoring truth to fit a specific opinion. Tailoring or adjusting a truth to fit a popular opinion. This, frankly, is the opposite of boldness. This really is a key indicator of someone who's looking to please man. I mean, this is politics 101 right here. I'm going to say what I need to say to look good in the circumstance, in the situation, so that I can gain an advantage or so I don't look bad, right? I mean, we're, we're coming into that season, right? We're coming into that season where we can listen to people ask questions of candidates and it doesn't matter what the question is, they already have an answer that they're going to give, right? They've got their talking points. They're going to go through their things. They're tailoring it to what they want to say so that they can please their constituents so that they get a higher vote. Yeah, I'm being negative. While that may be a tactic that is socially acceptable in our culture and in politics, it is never acceptable in communicating the gospel. I didn't come to you with flattery. I didn't come up with a message to make you feel good so that you would make sure that you would join our club or so that you would give money to our club. Rather, I was looking ultimately for the benefit of you, not myself. We should not be ashamed of the gospel and of telling it to others. You know, it becomes difficult because we want to make sure that when we communicate the gospel, we're doing it for the benefit of others. And sometimes those discussions can be very, very difficult. Sometimes they can be very tricky. You know, some of the folks that you work with or that I work with may be more in that scientific or engineering or intellectual community. It's easy for a fear of man to creep in there and to be shunned for what you believe. You know, what's the tension between faith and reason? One of my brothers works in the scientific community, and he and I have these conversations frequently about the difficulty that he has in sometimes having a conversation between faith and reason. And as a believer, this is a constant struggle, and you don't want it to stunt your career opportunities. I have another brother who works in, as, a, uh, as a carpenter. He was in the Carpenters Union in Philadelphia for many years. It's all fun and games until you don't get ahead because you're living and demonstrating and communicating the gospel of God. That can be seen in word. It can be seen in action and what happens at 5 o'clock. Right, Because communicating the gospel of God for the benefit of others and not for yourself is going to bring difficulty it's going to bring hard circumstances. It may bring some embarrassment. This is the folly of the cross. 
It's the foolishness of the message that is preached. It is done ultimately to honor God and for the benefit of that person. We have the genuine gospel of God. We should be properly motivated to do it because we know the end. We know the outcome. We know the one who is able to heal and to help and to save. Because when you're in life circumstances and things are not going well and you are crying out for help, there is only one Savior who is able to do so. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we communicate the genuine gospel of God, we do so because it has changed and impacted our lives in such a way that we do it for others We do so confidently. We make sure that God is honored and we do it ultimately for their own benefit because we know we are not going to be disappointed. We're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be hurt by communicating the gospel of God because we believe it is the power of God to salvation to every single person who believes. Let's close this this afternoon with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for these truths from your word. God, I pray that you would help us to be properly motivated because we have been so impacted by the truth of your word. God, help us to be bold. Help us to be kind. Lord willing, as we even look at that text next week, God, I pray that you would help us to make sure that when we communicate truth, we do so in a way that is seen ultimately as for their benefit ultimately for your glory so that we might see you do a work and then we are able to say to you be the glory for the amazing things that you've done. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.